0: Feed my
1: spirit. I was born to die. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. Alright, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 12, we've got the very lovely Aaron Woodall. He's a comic based in Salt Lake City. And you've probably seen some of his clips on dry bar comedy. Or maybe you were a longtime listener of the Mormon and the Method podcast. But today we talk about his upbringing in Maryland, his mission to Milan, Italy, how he hated BYU, and much, much more. He's a delight and you should definitely check out and support his work. And as always, if you like what you hear, be sure to share one of your favorite episodes with a family member or friend. And if you're feeling kind... Leave a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it. And of course, be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for easy access to all of my social media links. I really appreciate all of your guys' support and listens, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Can you give us a brief introduction of who you are?
0: Hi, I am comedian Aaron Woodall, or I was a comedian before 2020. I don't, I haven't uh, performed a comedy since February, and I don't know when I will again. But I was at one point a stand-up comedian. Uh, I had a podcast called Mormon and the Meth Head with another comedian named Jessa Reed. If you haven't checked that out, do it. Start at the beginning. It's fun. Um, I've got... Uh, an album for sale if anybody wants uh, a really funny comedy album about my divorce it's called uh, Woodall alone and uh, I don't know you can just find me on Instagram or on Twitter whatever and I'll you message me I'll tell you how to get the album but uh, Instagram I'm the Aaron Space Museum so follow me there uh, Twitter I'm Aaron Woodall 14. Just look up Aaron Woodle. You'll find me. Anyway, um, I was Mormon. I was Mormon for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, I was like the most Mormon, I think. I was more Mormon than anyone you knew, Devin. That's what I always tell people. But I, I believe it. I don't know. Were you pretty Mormon, Devin?
1: I, I was pretty Mormon for a while, yeah. I don't think I was as Mormon as you, though. I feel pretty confident in saying that.
0: The reigning champ. I
1: love it. Because right now you look like you're either trying to recruit me into a cult you're starting or you want to sell me some like really good mushrooms or something.
0: Do you think this is a cult look? You've just been watching too much of The Vow. That guy uh, wishes he had hair like mine. Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad look.
1: Is... I'm saying <laughs> while you're talking, I'm like tempting. I'm trying to control myself from joining whatever it is you're about to start. Uh...
0: That's good to know. This this hair is the only good thing to come out of twenty twenty. I've never I've never like grown my hair out, and uh, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I wish I'd done it years ago, but enough about that. They, people can't even see my hair. Uh, oh, well,
1: okay. they'll look you up. They're gonna look <laughs> you up. I promise that.
0: Um, I. I, both my parents are Mormon Mm -hmm. and my dad actually a, a convert when he was, you know, like 18 or so, he joined the church and then served a mission. My mother also served a mission. Oh, wow. Very, uh, very devout Mormon parents and they raised us all Mormon and I loved it. I liked going to church. I liked God. I liked having a relationship with God and I wanted to, you know. Do my best to serve him well. I think a key component of my story, though, is that I grew up pretty Mormon, but not anywhere remotely Mormon. I grew up in Maryland, and uh, I feel like people, you're not already familiar with the difference. It's way more chill to grow up outside of Utah or, you know, those parts of Idaho and Arizona where, like, those packed-in Mormons are. It's way different when you're the only Mormon kid in your high school, and the only Mormons you see are the ones that uh, in your ward on Sunday, and that that's it. That's like a healthy dose of Mormonism. When you uh, put when you put so much like constant Mormonism in your everyday life that permeates the culture, mm-hmm. it, it makes things weird. It works things and makes them awful. So while I was like. I was very devout. I don't know. I feel like it was easier to be a Mormon in Maryland uh, than it was in Utah, Hmm. which is what I found out when I later, you know, moved to Utah. Hmm. Uh,
1: Now you mentioned, I went
0: went on a mission. I went, I I didn't go to Utah until I was home from my mission and I would, I was going to BYU, Hmm. but I, Served a mission from two thousand April 2007 to April 2009 in Italy-Milan mission. So it's like the northern uh, chunk of Italy was my mission. And, man, did I luck out. What a great place to go. You know, some people go to Columbus, you know? Yeah, yeah. My, my brother lives in Kent, Ohio right now. Yeah. And he just texted me today and he said he saw Sister Missionaries and he was like, I have no idea what the hell they're doing out here. It's like, I've never even seen a chapel in Kent. Like, I don't know where, what these people are doing here.
1: They let them out of the house? I thought they're supposed to be on Facebook right now.
0: Right? Right. I got a a friend in Maryland sent me a, a screenshot of a friend request they got on Facebook. And they were like, hey, I know this is a little rude to do, but like, do you know this Mormon person? Why are they sending me a friend request? And I looked, and I was like, I don't know them, but it does look like they are an active missionary in the D.C. North mission. I think they're trying to convert you over Facebook. And uh, then I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. That's the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They're moving all their recruitment online. It's so strange to imagine missionaries of social media. When I went, we had just gotten permission to use my LDSmail.net. It was like the oh, LDS yeah we weren't even allowed to use Gmail. Oh, we wow. couldn't we could get on we could get on the we go to the library or an internet cafe on P days once a week and we could log on for one hour of internet time and all we could access was myldsmail.net That's it. It's the only website we were allowed to go to. So it's very um, strange to imagine missionaries today mm. like using Facebook to uh, bother people. <laughs>
1: Did you actually stick to the one-hour time constraint?
0: Yeah, Devin, I followed every rule. I followed every single rule. They gave you this whole fucking book of rules, and I was like, could we make a bigger book? I would not mind more rules. I will do whatever the Lord requires of me. I was very, very good at being obedient. So, no, I, I, I followed the Internet rules. I followed journal rules. I've never kept a journal in my life, except for the two years as a missionary, because it was a rule, and I didn't want to lose the spirit. So I was like, I better write in my journal for 30 minutes a day. So now I have a meticulously detailed account of the most boring two years of my life. That's it. That's all my descendants will ever know about me. It was these two years that I was a missionary. I never write anything else, because I no longer have like the threat of damnation hanging mm. over me. And that's apparently what I need to uh, force myself to write. If only God would like send me a commandment that was like, you finish that screenplay or you're going to hell. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'll do it.
1: I mean, a little cocaine helps too, I've heard. Yeah. Really crank out <laughs> a <well>. screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I felt like I was a pretty um, fairly zealous missionary myself. Um, but then sometimes you have companions. You know, I'm a little guy. So I'd have some bigger African companions and stuff. And so it's like, all right, if you want to stay a little longer than an hour, I can't really. What am I going to do? You mm. know what I mean? And then that helped me Maybe justify always,
0: it. I, so I never had a companion that ever fought me on any of the rules. And, then, and naively at the time, I just believed it's because we're all good missionaries. Like everyone here is here for the same reasons I am. We're all here to serve the Lord. No one is tempted at all, right? And uh, then as I got a little bit uh, wiser, I was like, oh, maybe it's just because I was like so spiritually zealous that they were like infected with it or they knew that like they I wasn't going to change my mind. So they just got on board. Mm. But now maybe it's just because I am large I'm a very big person and no one was ever going to tell me, no, I do want to nap during language study. I was I, like, I think it might know, be that nap during language. <laughs> what i do <laughs> buddy wake up
1: so you exercised for 30 minutes every day i just i don't know man i don't know if i believe that
0: dude uh all right so here's the truth i would nap during language study <laughs> i would never miss exercise do you know what i started doing is just stretching i became insanely flexible on my mission because you wake up at 6 30 you're tired mm-hmm. and you can't don't have the effort to exercise but I was, I was like i gotta do something for 30 minutes so i would just start stretching I would just stretch for thirty minutes. That's to this day, it's one of my favorite things to do. I love stretching. It's a great way to start your day.
1: I mean, that's really kind of tying into the whole cult leader thing. You mean (laughs) yoga? You're talking about yoga? You're starting a yoga studio? Uh, But oh man, that's funny. So you were in Italy, Milan. Um, What were some of your expectations going in?
0: Um. It was something I looked forward to my whole life. I sung songs in primary. I hope they call me on a mission. Like that was my favorite song. And you're just you're fed a lot of missionary stories your whole entire life. And and we would have the missionaries over all the time for dinner. And they're like revered when they come over. Your parents love them, and then you listen to your parents tell them tell stories about their mission. So I'd hear my parents tell stories over and over again and uh then in church every week you're here you know it's just the ultimate goal it's all anybody uh talks about it's all anybody wants you to do and you just know that's that's expected of you i think though as far as as much as someone can go for the right reasons i felt like i was going for the right reasons like i genuinely uh believed in the calling and i was like i i want to serve the lord and i want to share this message this message that is giving me eternal happiness everyone should be so happy i love everybody and i want to share that love like let's go and uh i think that it like i feel like my mission was was great in most ways it was very nice i do think that i lucked out in terms of mission presidents like i talked to so many other mormons and ex-mormons about their missions and i hear things that their mission presidents did or said or th- like rules that they had and i was like i would never have abided such uh, awful leadership but like i This mission president that I had, his name was Scott Dunaway, and he was like the general authority that you imagine, just like fatherly and sweet and so, so righteous and just always doing the right thing and led with a gentle hand and just encouraged us to be better, didn't care about numbers, didn't want anybody to get numbers. He was like, we're here to help people. Uh, He like undid a whole bunch of like uh practices or traditions that the mission had built up over time when he got in and was like we're done with that that's not what missionaries do we're gonna work we're gonna do and you know and like uh so i liked it i i, I vibed very well with that man and uh it was it it really i mean like aside from the guilt like i think all the time i what i i would go back and do it again but with like some some tweaks some changes mm-hmm. I wish that i cared a little less i wish that i didn't feel guilty all the time and uh constantly worried about everyone's salvation and i just wish that i had uh i don't know listened to people more I, if i if i was able to go back i would be much less arrogant mm-hmm. you know you they send you out there at 19 and They have you thinking that you have all the answers that you know. So I'm out there saying things to like whole ass adults, people who've lived full lives. And I'm just like telling them like, oh, well, I haven't figured Mm -hmm. out. This is the secret to happiness. These are like people that have lost loved ones and people that have seen awful shit and people, you know, and I'm just like 19 and haven't, uh, haven't experienced anything in my life and just trying to tell everyone how to live. Uh, Those are like the only like regrets that I have about my mission, you know, that I wish I had uh, taken that love that I had for people and um, focused more on that and relaxed a little bit more on rules and stuff. I mean, like the big picture is God wants these people to be happy. And if I can help them be happy, then however, you know, Instead of instead of being like the only way to be happy is if they come to church and and make commitments and follow through on those commitments, that's the only way is they set a baptismal date. You know, I wish I just hung out with lonely people. I feel like mm. so many of the people we taught as missionaries were lonely, yeah. and so many people joined the church for that reason. They're like, oh, here's a community. That's why people join cults and stuff, mm. right? They're like, oh, here's here's friends. And I wish that I had just like offered people that friendship and that companionship without like making them make uh, eternal covenants with a church that to their income and stuff mm-hmm. like that uh but uh i don't i feel like i didn't answer the question i just rambled on about you, something you else. definitely I don't did know. but
1: it gave me some questions so you mentioned like this constant guilt you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that doesn't sound healthy, like at all. You know what I mean? Like the best two years. Um, so, like, did you ever have, or do you have dreams that you have to like serve a second mission?
0: Uh like I like literally a dream, a sleep had a dream, asleep, have a dream yeah. that
1: you, yeah.
0: No, but I had one dream that I remember. I wrote about it in my journal. Had it while I was a missionary, and I can't remember the details now. But like I shared it with my mission president too. Uh, I think just like in an email, but the gist of the dream was about guilt and me feel like I was walking past people and not sharing any messages with mm-hmm. them, you know? And I think there was other weird dream things where like a certain person turned into a relative and, you know, all this different stuff that had symbolism, but the gist of the dream was like, I felt like was the Lord speaking to me in my sleep, like get yourself together and stop wasting your time. You are passing people every day and not sharing the message with them. Stop being scared. What are you scared of? You need to save people. And that was like the weight that I felt all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, similarly, like I knew there were definitely some very low points on my mission, but I felt like I had, you know, a, a very solid amount of high points. And I felt like overall even if there were low points, it was constructive. It was a constructive two years for me. And then, like, not long after, like, getting back and, like, even throughout the years, like, I got home, like, seven years ago, I'll have, like, periodic dreams. And I'm always the age I am right now. But, like, I get called on a second mission. And basically, I just show up. And I'm, like, at my first apartment again in my first area. And I get underneath, like, the mosquito nets. And I'm just laying there, like, ah, oh, fuck, like... I can't believe I have to do this all over again and then I wake up like (laughs) so relieved you know what I mean and so that made me think like well why am I having these dreams if I had like such a good time you know what I mean um and then that just kind of got me researching like man like I didn't realize it but like I was actually dealing with like so much anxiety and like so much like the guilt of like losing out on blessings or like i'm not reaching the people that i'm you know i'm supposed to meet and i'm supposed to convert like i'm not really doing my part um and i learned there's kind of like a term for that like uh, scrupulosity have you ever come across that
0: i've never heard this term
1: yeah it's like this it's like a it's an anxiety thing and it's just like even if you make like little minor mistakes and stuff like you just the guilt is so hard and and visceral that you like, you're just constantly asking forgiveness. I would just be walking around like with a prayer in my heart, like all the time, just like, Oh, please. Like just, I need the spirit. Like, please forgive me. Forgive me all the time.
0: Well, this sounds like uh, me. Absolutely. I'm going to be Googling scrupulosity afterwards and finding diagnosing myself with new things. But I also walked around constantly just just ashamed of every little thing that I did wrong. I think a lot of that's, I mean, still my personality to this day, even though I work on it a lot, but I feel like they start you out very young. Um, I think this is not that unique to Mormonism, but most religion in general uh, thrives on some amount of guilt, like in shame. Like they tell you you're doing stuff wrong. And they even tell you that very natural, very normal stuff, Is something really wrong that you should feel very bad about. But um, in a lot of Christianity, uh, especially, I mean, Mormonism has lots of these same, uh, uh, in the same vein as like Protestantism, where it's like about work, you know, you gotta work. And a lot of Christians dislike Mormons because of this um, focus on work instead of like being saved by grace. But there's like, we have to get stuff done. Or we are failing. Mm-hmm. Like Christ died for you, but like you've got to do all this stuff. And it really ingrains this that this like internal uh dialogue mm-hmm. that is that you just shame yourself for any little shortcoming. And then you heighten that on a mission. They yeah. tell you you have a calling, and it's so important that people's salvation are in your hands. It's up to you. And like so when I'm like normal, 19-year-old shy on a bus, um, that's just like normal. I don't it's like, yeah, of course you didn't want to talk to a stranger. That's kind mm. of a hard thing to do for most people. Uh, I would be like, I'm a coward. I'm a coward who's giving in to Satan. It's it's all it's so it's so um, what's the word? Darn. it's just like if you're not doing the absolute best you are working on behalf of the devil mm-hmm. like you are it's either it's uh it's a zero-sum game it's either god-winning or satan winning and it's up mm-hmm. to you elder and so I think that that really allows for uh even more of the of that scrupulosity, scrupulosity. I, I think that's
1: how you pronounce it <laughs> but I would I would google it and see um, but speaking of like you know opening your mouth, you know that's kind of the the commandment as a missionary. Um, in Italy, did you run into like a lot of Americans?
0: Uh, yeah, there were Americans uh, out and about. I wouldn't say we ran into a lot of them, but like, uh, I mean, if you went to a more touristy spot, then you would run into lots of people on vacation and stuff. But um, I didn't. I don't think I ran into that many. Yeah, and it would. I wouldn't be like trying to teach any of them exactly. I would just be like oh you're American hey
1: what's up See, I was in Hi. uh Ghana and I ran into a few like and I got into taxis with some and it was like my worst nightmare I hated running into Americans because <laughs> I, for some reason I felt so like embarrassed you know what I mean you got this like ill-fitting short-sleeve white shirt on you just look so goofy and it's like yeah I should be doing all the normal things living my life but it's like you caught me doing this thing. Uh,
0: I felt embarrassed by the Americans. No. Like, I felt so much better than them well I was like, y'all are tourists. I live here. Yeah. I've, I've become one of them. I've adopted their culture, okay? I know the hand signs. You, what, uh, do you want, are you trying to find some gelato? Yeah. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And they're just, so, they're like loud. Americans are loud and obnoxious and kind of selfish when they're abroad. Mm. And it's like, you really, when you, like in a place like Venice, where I served at the end of my mission, you see lots of tourists. Uh, Americans are annoying. Like when a crowd of Americans walks down, you're like, fucking, hey, the Yankees are here. Damn it.
1: So you finished out your mission in Venice?
0: yeah it's technically mestre it's like the city just inside from Mm. venice uh but uh yeah venice was was out there i didn't go super often because i Mm. was so focused on the work venice is a terrible place to do missionary work because it's just you know tourists and stuff Mm. but like On P days or like on Christmas, we went to, uh, we did like a midnight mass at the, at the church, St. Mark's in Venice square uh, or St. Mark's square in Venice is beautiful. Beautiful. I love that town.
1: Yeah. That sounds like a really picturesque place to serve and die
0: in the world. And I don't know how much more I'm going to get to travel in my life, but like, it might be the, the most unique place that I've gotten to go to. It's such a weird little city. I love it. Yeah. Or just wandering around it.
1: Yeah. Buy Aaron's uh, comedy album so that he can travel. Please. Yeah. Send yeah. this man back to Venice.
0: Mm. It's only $5. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter and find out how it can be yours.
1: It's not bad at all. So you had a pretty solid mission experience overall, it sounds like.
0: I think so. I think I really made it. I I made it into what I wanted it to be. I felt like um these are the things that i loved about it i love uh having stuff to do Mm -hmm. like i especially this year 2020 just sitting at home day after day the idea of having a schedule that i have to adhere Mm -hmm. to sounds great for my anxiety it actually sounds like you're taking all the decision power away from me and just telling me go outside and do this 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 i'm like okay cool oh i'll do it and you stay busy And you're helping people and you're chatting with people. And I like both of those things. And I liked, you know, what was nice was two years kind of unplugged, like not completely unplugged, but we were, we weren't like monks, but it was quiet. Like we don't never had a TV on or a radio on for two years. You don't have any social media. Uh, That's it. And you're just like a lot of time for. Thinking and talking. I liked, at the time, I really loved scriptures. Mm-hmm. I loved studying them. I loved becoming like a little scripture scholar and doing all my study. And, you know, I liked having those discussions. And, uh, you know, you're just like hanging with the boys. I made good friends on my mission. I, I, maybe I was lucky that I didn't know any like real assholes on my mission. But uh, it was a fun, little adventure. I definitely, if I went back, I would make it much more fun. Mm-hmm. Like I <laughs> would have a lot more fun, but still it was nice overall. It was very nice.
1: Yeah. Go to some more, uh, orgasmatron parties.
0: Oh my God. I went. I would, if I went back, if I went back up by suddenly I was 19 again with the, I would just, I would definitely, uh, flirt a lot more with Italian women. I would kiss some probably who knows. I, that's the, the, I would drink wine for sure. I would. I would get a whole. Maybe this is where we'd really put to test the theory of of my size. Like, what would my companions have done? Would they have followed my lead no matter what? These companions I think of as super righteous as me. But if I was like uh, Elder Hatch, tonight we're drinking wine with these beautiful Italian women. What are you going to do about it, huh?
1: And I, huh? I've got it's the cell sweet. phone, and you're not talking about yeah. it. So we had like a no,
0: What we had like a Nokia brick cell phone. Uh, is that what you had?
1: Yeah, we'd play Snake on it sometimes.
0: Oh, my God. I do not even know if we had Snake on us. Oh,
1: no, no.
0: Did you divvy up the phone and the keys in Ghana? That was our division of power. It's like uh, for one week, I would have the phone, and next week, I would have the keys.
1: Oh, no. The senior-most companion has it all the time.
0: Had both? Oh, yeah. that's, da- that's dangerous to give one yeah, man that much power. It, it
1: corrupts.
0: We split them up. <laughs>
1: oh, no. No, never did that.
0: Anyway, uh, the the first thing though that I put on my shelf, mm-hmm. I assume your listeners are familiar with that term. Oh yeah, all right. The very first thing I put on my shelf was happened during my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I I served through two thousand and eight. I was in Italy, and like the end of two thousand eight, is kind of like the end, of, getting towards the end of my mission, and at this time in america california was trying to pass proposition 8 mm-hmm. and the mormon church got very involved in it and that i was we were you know like i said we're not super connected all we all of our news came from family members telling us about it but i would start hearing things about proposition 8 and i was like weirded out by it i had always been told I thought I'd been taught, I thought it was, I don't know, maybe I made it up, but I had always assumed at least that the church stayed out of politics. The church will tell you to vote, but they're never going to tell you what to vote for. That's what I heard my whole life. And growing up where I did outside of DC, most everyone in my ward worked for the government. And there were, I think Mormons even there in Maryland skew probably more Republican, but there were like Republicans and Democrats in my ward and it there would be political conversations all the time. I would hear adults around me like argue about politics and they had different opinions and they would talk about it and I was like, yeah, Mormons can be whatever they want to be and vote however they want because that's whatever, you know. I liked that. So I started hearing that the church is telling people how to vote on something and that didn't sit well with me. And I remember thinking – and I think I said out loud a couple of times to uh, my companion, I'm really glad that I'm not in America right now because I don't – I wouldn't want to be faced with the choice of, like, disobeying the prophet because this is me at my most obedient. Like, I'm out here telling people every day about Thomas S. Monson and how great he is and he leads the church, Uh, but if he was telling me to, like – uh, vote against gay marriage I'd be like uh, Tom why don't you stay in your fucking lane my man um, I heard there were a lot There was, I heard um, about friends at BYU were saying like and, and writing excitedly about it mind you they were like happy they were like we're our bishop has asked us to volunteer in call centers after classes to call voters in California about Prop 8 and I was like, this sound—I don't like the sound of that at all. That doesn't sound good. You shouldn't do that. I don't like that. Also, i, I had like before my mission, I was—I was, I was pro gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument never made—it never made any sense to me. I think during my mission, I read some like Dallin H. Oaks conference talk. And listen to his like dumbass, you know, legal mumbo jumbo, and I was totally convinced. I was like, okay, this actually does make sense. I I understand why gays can't get married, but like even then, I'd never understood why the church would be getting involved. Because it's like we don't honor anyone's marriage. If you want to go to heaven, you have to get married in our temple in our way. So what do we care if a state, the state of California, allows same-sex couples to be married? Because we don't honor any of the marriages that the state of california does like you have so who gives a shit and then i got home and i got on youtube and i saw um people like videos of members bearing testimony in like testimony meeting about like how this is wrong and getting their mics cut and like getting excommunicated and getting chastised by other members or leadership because they were speaking out and saying it was wrong. And I was like, that's also fucked up. Mm -hmm. We can't say, we can't say that it's wrong. What do you mean? You know? And then I went to BYU as like, as soon as I got home, I got accepted to BYU and I started and I moved to Utah. And like I said, man, Provo is a horrible, horrible place. It's an awful, awful place. And so that's when everything started piling up on my shelf was at BYU learning just like there's number one, the, the people that you meet and the culture that you experience there, it sucks. And it's not Christ-like. It's not anything like the Mormonism you knew it's weird and it's gross. It's manipulative. It's so, it's so strange. And then two, there's just like, I'm like taking religion classes at BYU and learning facts from the church's university about the church's history that made me go, what, mm. what, what? And, uh, and I learned more and more things at BYU, and the just stuff kept piling up on the shelf, just thing after thing after thing. It was gross. Mm.
1: Would you like to hear some of mine?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like I had talked enough.
1: <laughs> and I could see it in your eyes, like oh, you, you now.
0: I just worry. Yeah, I'm just worried. I'm rambling too much.
1: Right? No, no, I love it. Um, I love just hearing people's stories. You know what I mean? So I find it very interesting. Um, but I, I relate to you a lot because, like I said, you know, I, I came from uh, a Florida version of Mormonism, mm-hmm. and so my expectations of Utah, just. Were not met at all, like I remember getting he to the design it's exactly I'm he like man, this is happy is,
0: and wonderful, you know
1: this is the Mormon mecca, like I'm going out, I'm doing it, and you know I'm paying my dues, and then I get to like the Provo Orm area, and like I'm seeing people smoking cigarettes, and there's like <laughs> ghettos and stuff, and just nothing made sense. I was like what like I'm, I was really surprised by that, and then I'm
0: yeah. sorry, did you say there's ghettos in Provo?
1: Not like a ghetto ghetto, no, ghetto but like no, they're... <laughs> they're, there's like trailer type areas that you could consider ghetto. Okay. That's what I'm okay. saying.
0: I liked all that stuff. That's where I was like, when I was in Provo, I was like trying to hang out with people that were smoking cigarettes. To be honest, I was like, this. Uh, it's the it's the like Pleasantville Stepford Wives vibe of Provo that grossed me out. And it was like the outrighteousing, mm. like trying to be so everyone was condescending and everyone was sinning. And I was like, Why are you an ass? Like, what is wrong with everyone? And no one would say fuck. They would just say feck and fetch mm. and weird things. And I was like, I would just like you better if you would just swear a little bit, you know? And uh, that that's what I couldn't stand. Mm. I liked I ended up hanging out. I didn't I never broke any rules because you you know, you know me, but I hung out with all the people that were like drinking mm. uh, and smoking and stuff uh, secretly at BYU. They were cooler.
1: <laughs> yeah. I went that way when I started working in like restaurants for the first time and being exposed <laughs> to that kind of environment. But I think I did, I expected like this, you know, Pleasantville type of experience and then just having, Oh, this is just, anor- this is just another place. This is mm. like really any other place. People are doing things. Um for some reason, like my nineteen year old self just like that was a real disconnect for me um and then it just kind of started piling up that way um, but I still like was really into church and all of that kind of stuff um you know it really wasn't until I don't know. <laughs> I had, I started having some doubts on the mission and I guess some of those things started coming back to me, but, but this is, this podcast isn't about me. This is about you. (laughs) I was like, I'm about to go on a huge long tangent, but they've heard this.
0: Oh, that's fine. Um, I, I hated the pride of Provo. I hated, uh, I hated the bubble. I hated that people were so oblivious. They all felt like this was like how life? Uh, I was like, you gotta understand, this is a weird place. Like, I need you to understand that. I'd come from a diverse place. I like diversity more. It's uh, creepy when stuff's so homogenous. And so I, And I took um, like a lot of classes in more uh, like uh, liberal majors, and like sociology specifically. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of sociology classes and and T seven. I couldn't believe just like the ignorant sheltered uh bigoted shit that people would say and i was like they and i it took me a while but it's like they've never experienced anything outside of this bubble they've been here their whole life i remember fighting a guy in the mtc uh who was from cache valley utah i think like a backwoods kind of guy Mm -hmm. fought him uh over bob marley because he wouldn't he couldn't he was just saying ridiculous stuff about Bob Marley because he's like, do you know what? Do you know what he's famous for? Do you know what he's famous for? And I was like, um, I think like uh, like writing songs that uh, captured the uh, <laughs> freedom fighter generation. And he's like, he's famous for marijuana. And I was like, I think you've seen a poster with him yeah. that had marijuana on it. But like, I guarantee you, like, he's famous for something other than that. And he was just like he was telling about how uh bob marley is a bad person and stuff and i was like i think bob marley has done so much good in his life and i was like listing things i was like he's he did a lot that was good and you're just like mad that he smoked weed and he was he was furious that i would like mention a man's name who smoked weed and i was like do you know that most of the people that we're gonna go talk to have probably smoked weed And that that he said no. He said I was a liar. He said that that wasn't true. And I was like, bro. I mean, I don't. I ever. I was the only person in my high school that hadn't smoked marijuana. So I think you know. And it's just they're sheltered, right? Mm -hmm. They're sheltered, man.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: Just uh, more stories I had. Like when I was at BYU was when uh, the church first started their essays on gospel topics mm. which like the very first one was about race and the priesthood and in the beginning I think more people know what they are now but I remember reading them when no one knew what I was talking about everyone thought I was making shit up and the church hid them on their website like you mm. couldn't find it easily you had to search for this thing. And when you got there and found it, finally, it like basically said that Brigham Young was racist and they wouldn't exactly say it and they wouldn't apologize for it. But they were like, there is no doctrinal reason why black people didn't have the priesthood. Brigham Young did say these racist things. No one's saying, no one's saying, you know, and that was like, oh, and I wanted to talk to every person about it, you know, and I was like, guys, guys, did you read what the church said? And the pushback that I got from people for just trying to talk about something that the church itself had published, that was like, this feels like, you know, the people in the vow who Mm -hmm. uh, are starting to understand that they're in a cult. When you're like, we can't even have a discussion about this. And it's all, I'm not even making, you know, this is all coming from the church. This is something I just learned in my Doctrine and Covenants class or Mm -hmm. this, you know, like this. We would like have classes where they said, "Here's a, a, a quote from a prophet about this subject. Here's a quote from a different prophet contradicting that prophet," and uh, then I like be surprised when I want to have a conversation about is the, are the today's prophets correct about gay marriage because the yesterday's prophets were incorrect about a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you couldn't even have those conversations with people that's when i started to get very alienated i started withdrawing more at byu i disliked it a whole a whole bunch and then i i remember the day i i found out that byu used to engage in electroshock therapy mm. for gay students and they had stings they had stings where they were like Uh, baiting gay students into outing themselves, like pretending to be gay and like, hey, come meet me for some gay sex at the Walgreens. And then they'd bust them and be like, here's the thing. You can either get expelled right now and we tell your bishop at home and your parents at home exactly why you're being expelled, or we can save your soul with some electroshock therapy. And I was, I was, Furious! I wanted to break something. I went to a professor's office to scream about it because I was like, "This is the Lord's church. This is—we're supposed to be led by people that know better." And we were electrocuting people because yeah. they were gay, and and the Spirit never once whispered, "Hey, this is a bad idea. Don't do it." Yeah, I was
1: furious. Wow, I'd never heard that they did sting operations before.
0: Yeah, I read a lot about that actually uh wilkinson was this is all during like wilkinson's tenure Mm. uh there's like this is also where um it's not the september 6th but before the september 6th there was like a purge of byu professors in the 70s Mm. because it had that was a little bit more liberal and progressive and then ernest wilkinson is the new president and he's like very he's the he institutes most of today's uh dress and grooming standards Mm -hmm which were meant to combat the hippie counterculture Mm. and fight the gays. You can, I like read his opening address from like the start of one school year and the shit that he says about gay people and hippies and women wearing pants. It's so laughable. Mm. It's so laughable. And yet there's still so many policies in practice at the honor code the whole the whole uh, system changed under Ernest Wilkinson and went from being something where it was literally like you were like on my honor I promise to like what if we had a system of narcs where we encouraged all children to narc on each other and we had an office that that leveraged students' uh, grades and stuff against them and uh, it's all and I was like this this whole place is fucked up I hate yeah. it wow.
1: so I went to the University of Utah. Um, oh, but I was nice. yeah I know Much like, better. you're talking all this BYU stuff but I when I heard that like you know when I started dipping my toes into like the ex-mormon local ex-mormon kind of community because mm-hmm. um, similarly like you try to talk to your friends and stuff about doubts and people break down in tears like they're very resistant to it so you do start to withdraw and you, you start looking for community in other places which you know tends to lead you out of the church But when I learned, like, um, a lot of these guys coming from BYU, like, they had to hide it or, like, they had to graduate because um, they would, like, freeze your transcripts, and so you Mm -hmm. would, like, have to start from scratch, you know what I mean? When I learned about that, that really bothered me.
0: I knew two people that transferred out. No, sorry. I know one person who transferred out of BYU because he was gay, and he was, uh, he didn't tell anybody, and he but, uh... He was like, I feel, I feel terrible here. Every class I go to, some mean every class, maybe every day, but somebody says something heinous about me without knowing, like they just say stuff about me right next to me and I can't be here anymore. And he never, he didn't want anyone to know. Uh, and he got, he just transferred. The second guy that I know also kept it a secret. But it was like, I just have to graduate. I'm going to uh, keep this a secret and not tell anyone, have a terrible four years, and then I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to leave. Last year or two years ago, this Instagram account popped up called BYU Honor Code Stories. Mm-hmm. And I, if you hi, guys haven't checked that out, go look at some of those stories. They're just innumerable. And there's so many, I hope I didn't make that word up, uh, there's yeah. so many stories and uh you'll you'll see just like how vicious the honor code can be and how stupid and pointless it can be how arbitrary it is it's very it's very 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 scary
1: Mm -hmm. so you did end up graduating
0: yeah i graduated i mean i'm a straight cis male so i mean it was easier for me you know um i did i didn't fully quit i was like i was very inactive by the time that i graduated Mm -hmm. but i had i didn't quit until uh after like we i was married and i had a kid Mm -hmm. and we went to salt lake after we graduated and we thought this will be our renaissance at the church like we hated provo but Salt Lake is much cooler and like our ward was cooler. There's like a, a gay guy who was like a prominent member of the ward who's out openly gay. And we were like, this is nice. They're, everyone here is more progressive. This is a, uh, this is a much cooler ward to be in. We could actually enjoy coming to church here on Sundays. Again, maybe this will save us. I was at the time still very frightened to let go. I talk about this a lot on mormon and the meth head about how, how hard it was for me to just like let go of it mm-hmm. i was very scared like what will i do how will i live And they a lot of that comes from them they say things like where will you go
1: mm-hmm.
0: well where will you go and i didn't know i was like where will i go if i quit what would life be like when it's such an ingrained part of your life from birth mm-hmm. i couldn't imagine a life without it turns out it's just like it's totally fine you do it and you're like oh god what was i worried about this is actually this is so much better but at that time, I was I was scared to, like, how will I raise my son if not with the, the help of the church? How will I instill values in him if I'm a godless heathen? You know, how will I answer his questions about what life means and stuff? And so we kept trying to go to church for a while. And then on November 5th, of 2015, is when the church was trying to sneak in this policy Mm -hmm. about not letting kids of a gay parent get baptized at eight. They had to wait until they were 18 and denounce their parents' lifestyle. And me and my wife looked at each other and we're like, why are we trying so hard to stay in this church? And then we never went again and it was over. It was done. And that was, uh, I don't know. That's actually only really the beginning of the end, but, uh, that's when it, that's when I, you know, decided that I was going to leave.
1: Mm.
0: Leaving was its like, whole journey in and of itself, but that was That was the breaking point.
1: Yeah, I had left that same year, um, but I, I, I definitely jumped on the name removal, like from your record removal bandwagon that was going on at that time. I remember there was a big. I, uh...
0: I've still not done that. My goal is to get so famous that they have to excommunicate me. Like I want them, I want them to say you're out of here, and I'll be like, That's what I want. I would like to, I, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm still not on their radar. So, I mean, buy my album and spread yeah, the word. Yes, yeah.
1: I, I want to see this fulfilled for you. I'm I'm starting a Kickstarter after the call. <laughs> we've we've got to get your presence out there. Um, uh, um. So, how has your life been? Since like separating yourself from the church, oh
0: man, it's it's good. I think um, the first few years was a whole separation process where I was I didn't know who I was. I also got divorced around the same time and was like dealing with my whole identity collapse, and that was very scary. Where I was like, I don't know who I am. And so for a long – like there was a period of time where I still called myself Mormon, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't believe in it anymore because I was like, I still feel Mormon. I've said it my whole life. I've always been Mormon. I'm the Mormon guy. That's my identity. You know, What do I do? And then like after a couple of years, I finally got comfortable with the term Mm ex-Mormon. That fit very well where I was like, yeah, I'm ex-Mormon. I'm not Mormon anymore. I'm ex-Mormon. And then a couple of years after that, I don't even – that – that term doesn't, I don't I'm just like me now. I like it so much better. I don't feel, uh, like I'm, I'm, I identify with that church at all. Uh, it's, it's like, there was this period of time where that's all I wanted to talk about. That's why I made that one podcast, you know, because I wanted to talk through all these feelings. And now I'm at a point where I don't really think about the church that often I have to a little, cause I'm in Utah. So, you know, my timeline always has something about the church in it somewhere, mm-hmm. but, uh, and my, you know, my parents are still Mormon and we, but like, it's, a it didn't really, I feel like now I'm my own person and I, there are things about me that I like that are definitely influenced by that religious experience, both good and bad things. There's a lot of like uh, religious trauma that I have that I I'm very uh, skeptical of belief systems at all now. Like any belief system I get upset with because I just I see the evil in it the way that because I I was so blind to the evil in Mormonism for so long. And now I just see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. I uh, like I. I don't know. There's this, what I was talking about earlier, like being civically engaged this Mm -hmm. year uh, has made me feel good in the way that like uh, Mormon service did. You know, we used to do so many service projects and like had like a community that took care of each other. And I think that's a very um, seductive might be too uh, cynical of a word to use, but I think that that's appealing to people Mm -hmm. and it's a reason why people join. And it's a reason why people don't leave is because you have a whole community there. And I have missed that at times, but like now I'm making my own community and I'm finding certain ways to serve and being like, this was a good part of this church. I liked this good part. I would like to keep this in my life somehow. But then there's just 8 million things that the church didn't let me have that are great. Like weed, it turns out Bob Marley is so spot on, he's right on the money, reads a great thing and has improved my life dramatically. I love it and I can't believe uh, I ever, there was a time in my life where I thought it was evil. You know, And uh, like, I think I've done a lot of work untying the shame around sex that came from religion. And like after I got divorced and I like had sex with other people, you like talk to other people about sex. You realize like everybody just wants to have sex. People like sex and it's not like dirty or shameful. It's very human. It's very authentic. It's powerful. Like, uh, and, and, you know, and I learned to myself through, you know, I like you, I feel like there was a period of time where like, I didn't know what my values were or my, or my like standards and I was like, fuck it. I'll try everything. I'll do everything. And I like dabbled in some unhealthy things and did some things that made me sad. But like through my own experience, I was like, okay, that's bad. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to do that one again, you know? Mm-hmm. And you just like make your own, your own values and your own standards in your own life.
1: Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean, you're not really identifying with the ex Mormon thing necessarily, but the ex Mormon glow up is real. It happened for you. I gotta say, check out yeah. his Instagram page so you can see. Maybe post a new selfie for today.
0: Yeah, if you see, yeah, well, like you'll post like my old missionary photos, mm. which is probably like is the worst my hair's ever been. I just have buzz cuts uh, on my mission, but uh, I definitely, yeah, I think I. I have definitely glowed up in the last couple of years, and I thank you for noticing you, you have glowed so, up. I have
1: to I have to say. <laughs> uh, um, you were kind of uh, offering some advice there, I felt, um, as far as like navigating vices and things like that um, once you separate yourself from the church and, and try new things. Um, is there anything I haven't asked that you want to get into and share, or do you have any um, further advice for anyone listening? Um,
0: I say it gets better. Like, I think it takes time. The the analogy that I used a lot, or that a friend gave me, um, was about, like, you lived in a house. You lived in a house that was made for you. Someone else made it. And you are in the... You've just destroyed... When you leave the church and you upend your life in a drastic way like that, you've torn down the house and you are at that moment, much more exposed to the elements than you've ever been in your life. And it can be a little, that's obviously scary. And it does take time to rebuild your house, but this time you are the one building it. And you can look at all the wreckage that lays around you and you can pick out the pieces that you want to stay. You don't have to get rid of everything if you don't want to. You can, but you don't have to. You can pick the pieces of timber that you would like to keep in your house as you rebuild it, and then you can go out and experience things and find, uh, look at other people's houses and be like, oh, shit, I want that. That's nice. And then you build your own custom house. And I think that it's a process. It takes time. And while you're in that process life feels a little bit scarier but it was never as scary as i thought it was going to be when i was in the church and contemplating it like i at the time i thought it was so important for me to know with a surety beyond a shadow of a doubt exactly why we are here on earth who we were what we're doing where we're going you know and when i found all these things about mormonism weren't true i held on to them anyway i held on to joseph smith and the book of mormon and all this stuff because that's where my testimony came that's where all my answers came from about what i'm doing here and how could i even live a single day without knowing if for a fact there is a god or not right how that sounded very scary like how can i how can i go to work how can I hang out with friends if I don't know what happens after we die? And then I tried it and it's actually very easy. And like, really, it's just fine. I was just like, Oh, okay. So I just go to work and I just hang out with friends and I don't have to know where we go when we die. That's fine. Okay. I'll figure it out for myself as we go along. And then slowly, surely, uh, the elements, you know, didn't bother me as much. And before I knew it, I had my own new house, and I'm still like adding to it all the time. And it's a work in progress, which is another beautiful thing that the church will never ever be. Well, so sorry, this is a tangent. What's frustrating about Mormonism is that it has the foundation to be flexible. Hmm. Like it's, they're in the in, in their structure, they can they have modern day revelation. They could change. They could grow. And adapt with the world and they just refuse to. That's very frustrating. Uh, And that's not healthy. That's not how you want to live stuck like that. It's so much better to be able to make changes as you go. If you see something in your house that's no longer serving you, you don't have to keep it. You can be like, yeah, that's not me anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I believed that uh, a few years ago and it it was helpful for me at that time. Now I've noticed some flaws in that thinking and I don't believe it anymore. And here's this new thing that I didn't know about myself. uh, Even yesterday, I just learned this and I love it. I think that should be in my house. And it's it's only scary in the beginning because they've told you it's going to be scary. They've made you believe that you need them. And I think that like the key problem with any religion is that it wants to be a middleman. It wants to tell you, that in order for you to have a relationship with a higher power or anything, that they, they, you need them. You have to go through them. And without them, where would you be? Where will you go? What will you do? Who? Where will you get answers from? And it's just bullshit. You don't need them. The only reason it feels scary is because they want you to stay scared because then you'll stay with them. And when you leave – it is hard for a little while, and then you find out that you're much better off as your own boss. You don't need a middleman. You can just figure out stuff on your own, and uh, you're a lot happier.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm building a, a McMansion right now, and it's, it's looking good.
0: Ew, a cheesy little, like, ugly McMansion, man? Come on.
1: I didn't think you would Come judge on. me like that
0: mansion is a is safe
1: a, with you No, nah, i'm kidding it's it's a much prettier it's it's more uh it's a quaint countryside cottage right now
0: there we go that sounds nice mm-hmm.
1: that's what i'm working with nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this has been a lot of fun aaron thank you again so much for coming on um don't be a stranger i'll, okay. re- I'll reach out to you i'll see how you're doing thanks. feel free to do the same
0: hey thanks for making this podcast i mean also thanks for having me on it but I like the idea of the podcast in general you know Uh, it's uh, it's nice I like it Um, uh, feel free
1: to double dip on the plug if you want
0: oh yeah I was just about to do that I was just about to do that Uh, I I do have an album for sale it's called Woodall Loan it's five bucks and uh, you just have to Venmo me five bucks with your email address and then I email you the link but well, you can find all those instructions at my Instagram, which is the Aaron space museum or my Twitter uh, at Aaron, Woodall 14 just message me on either one of those things and uh, say, you want my album and I'll uh, tell you how to get it. It's good. It's funny. I promise.
1: Is this Venmo? What's, what's easier than that? It's so simple.
0: So simple.
1: So simple. Okay. All right, well, I don't want to, but I'll let you go. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. Bye, Aaron. Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.